Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Uh, a family was, uh, was getting ready to leave for a vacation and there was a, a burglar in the area, kind of like a home alone situation, kind of, you know, watching to see about the time who was leaving so that they could go in and steal from the house. And so this family was packing up their stuff, got everything in the car and drove away and the, the burglar thought, all right, that's the place I'm going to uh, tonight. Like I said, like a home alone type situation. And uh, evening came and the burglar watched, nobody had come that he could see to the house. And so he, he went out, knocked on the door, rang the doorbell, nobody came to the door. And so he picked the lock, opened up the door, and he said, anyone home? Is anyone here? And all of a sudden, he heard this voice, I see you, and Jesus sees you. And he stepped back, what? What's going on? Kind of terrified. What, what happened? He said, who's there? I see you, and Jesus sees you. Wait, wait, who's there? Took his flashlight, flashed it up, and there was this birdcage and this parrot in there with the refrain over and over again, I see you and Jesus sees you. He laughed to himself, flipped on the lights only to see that below the cage was a Doberman Pinscher. And the parrot said, sick him, Jesus. (laughs) Oh, thanks for humoring me. I'm sure a lot of you have heard that story before. Uh, nevertheless, uh, all joking aside, I felt like the Lord really laid on my heart as we get ready and we begin to prepare over uh, the next couple of, of weeks, about the next six weeks, uh, uh, we're getting ready for, uh, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? There's just something powerful about the resurrection of Jesus. So I wanted to spend some time in the Gospels, some time looking at at the life of Jesus. And, and so I began to pray and I said, God, what, 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 what do you want us to learn as we look at the Gospels? What do you want us to see? And this theme kept running through my mind through the eyes of Jesus. And so we're going to look at stories where, where through the Gospels where Jesus encountered people, maybe people with the need, maybe circumstances, certain things. And we're going to ask ourselves the question, not what were they going through, what was their perspective, but more so Jesus, what were you seeing? What did you see? How did you view this situation? And I think we're going to come away with some really encouraging things as to how Jesus sees our lives and Jesus sees our circumstances and that Jesus looks at life different than perhaps you and I look at life. How many of you are grateful for that? So today we're going to start in Mark chapter 2. So if you have a copy of God's Word, open it up. If you have your your phone, maybe the app on your phone or a Bible app, let's follow along. We're going to read in Mark chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read the first 12 verses. We're going to read this story as a whole. I I usually break it down, but today I really felt like we need to read the whole story up front, and then we're going to go through and we're we're going to break some things down as we go through. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, the NLT. So here we go, Mark chapter to starting verses 1 to 12. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men came, arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole in the roof above his head. They lowered the man on the the mat right down in front of Jesus. And here's the key words, seeing their faith. 
Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what's he saying? This is blasphemy. Only, only God can forgive sins. Jesus immediately knew, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. He saw, he could perceive what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat and walk. So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up. He grabbed his mat and walked through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, <laughs> I love this, we've never seen anything like that before. How many of you know, sometimes with Jesus, you get those moments where you're like, I've never seen anything like that before. I've never seen anything like that before. Today, I want to take a look at this story. And the opening verses kind of set the scene. Jesus had returned home. The region of Galilee was home. He was from Nazareth in Galilee. But this is the city of Capernaum. And he had, he had been there before and he had left and come back. The city of Capernaum is in the north. It's right on the Sea of Galilee. In fact, we believe, many, many people believe that it was the hometown of Peter and Andrew and James and John and their fishing business and their family's fishing business. In fact, earlier when he was in Capernaum, before he had went away to another region and come back, he'd actually healed Peter's mother-in-law. And, uh, and so he had done miracles. He, he had, people who were demon-possessed had, 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 had seen uh, Jesus set them free. Uh, people who, who needed healing had, had been healed, and, and Jesus was in that region, and so his popularity was growing. So thus he comes back, and he's in this, this house. We don't know whose house it is. Maybe it's Peter's mother-in-law. We're not sure whose house it is. All we know is in a house, and the house is packed, and a man out the door. How many of you believe, man, that'd be awesome if that was church again, Right? We keep come back and we can't even get people in the door. And, and so they're curious, who, who is Jesus? And so here's Jesus, jam-packed. In the end of verse 2, we're introduced to four men. And they're, they're carrying a paralyzed man. And they're trying to get him to Jesus. And uh, they can't get through the door, so they go on the roof. We're going to talk about this. They open up the roof. They lower him down. And we get these, these words, Mark 2, 5, seeing their faith. Seeing their faith. So today I want to take a look at this story. I want to dive in uh, because I, I want to I show you four things in this, in this story. Four things in this story that, that show us how Jesus sees things. That, that give us a picture of what Jesus sees. Four things that, that Jesus sees that sometimes we might miss. And, and the first one might seem a little out of place, but hang with me because I think it's powerful. I think it's a powerful truth. And it's simply this. Jesus sees the primacy of the word. Jesus sees the primacy of the Word. How many know the Word of God is, is most important? Right? In fact, I think that this is one of the central themes that runs through at least the first several chapters of the book of Mark is the primacy and the power of Jesus' Word. It, it opens with a packed house in Capernaum. In fact, it is, it is so filled with people that there is no more room. But can I tell you something? Jesus isn't there doing a healing ministry. Jesus isn't there doing a deliverance ministry. What we see in verse 2, it says this, while he was preaching God's word to them. 
Jesus was there preaching the word of God. In fact, that was primary to his ministry. Mark chapter 1, if we go back just a chapter, let me just kind of dive in a moment because we like to focus on the healings and the miracles and the deliverance. But I've got to tell you, although Jesus did those things, the most important thing that Jesus came to do was to declare the power of the word of God, the primacy of the word of God. He came to preach that the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sin. That's why he came. We see this pattern over and over. Mark 1, if you just flip back one chapter, verses 14 and 15. Later on, after John was arrested, that's John the Baptist, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. He preached. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Jesus came to proclaim the good news, forgiveness of sin. That was the primary message, the primary thing that he came, and he came proclaiming. So many times, I've got to tell you, evangelism suffers because we don't proclaim the word of God. We're going to see in this passage that, that it is not just about meeting physical needs. That's important. Compassion ministry is important. Meeting physical needs is important. But meeting physical needs without preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ is incomplete mission and incomplete evangelism. It's incomplete. It's incomplete. Verse 21 and 22. You say, well, that's just 14 and 15. Let's go to verse 21 and 22. Let's go seven verses later. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. That's where they are now. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. And the people were amazed at his teaching. And he taught them with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. And what happened? Verse 27, five verses later, amazement gripped the audience. And they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They excitedly ask, it has such authority that even evil spirits obey his orders. There is power in Jesus' word. There is power in the word of God. There is power in the word of God. Hebrews says that that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Listen, you, you you can't teach people, you can't tell people about Jesus without including the word of God. The word of God is what is powerful. The word of God is life. The word of God is what makes the difference. Don't leave the word of God out. Mark 1.27 just tells us that. And then there was amazement, not just the miracles, but the power and the authority that came with it, that Jesus does have the power to heal and deliver. We're going to see it. But more importantly, there was a primacy of God's word. Verses 38 and 39, and Jesus was up praying, and his disciples got him. They said, hey, there's all these people with need. You got to come back down. They're looking for you. Where did you go? Look what Jesus says. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I'll preach to them too. That's why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. I will preach to them too. There is a primacy in 
God's word. And this story that we're looking at in Mark chapter 2 opens not with a healing ministry, not with a time of worship and a worship ministry, as important as those things are, not in a deliverance ministry, not that, not that those things are not important or they don't take place, but there is a primacy of God's word. Jesus came preaching and teaching, and there was power and authority in his word. And if there's power and authority, and that's what Jesus valued, how much more ought we to value the Word of God in our own lives? Secondly, Jesus sees the faith of four friends. Let's go back in the story. While he was preaching God's Word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole in the roof above his head. They lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my son, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine the scene? Here's a packed house. I mean, we're talking a packed house. You can't get any more people in. They're in the doorways. You can't get in, right? It is a a packed house. Nobody lets them in. Here they are showing up. They have found their friend. He's paralyzed. And they say, you know what? We've seen that Jesus can can do miracles. We need to get our friend to Jesus. And so they bend down and they they pick up his mat and they say, hey, we're going to take you to Jesus. And they get there and the house is packed. They can't get in. Can you imagine the scene? They just, they can't get in. And, and I can imagine that as men do, men are, men are problem solvers, right? I mean, let's just, we're, we're fix it, right? How many of you ladies are just tired when you have a problem and you're, you know, you try to just share because you want your husband to listen and all he wants to do is fix it, right? Because men are fix-its, right? That's what we do. That's why we do tools, right? You know, Tim the tool man Taylor, rah, 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 right? We like to fix it. So I can imagine here, here and, and how many know that sometimes, Sometimes, and ladies, you can, you can agree or disagree with this, but you know, sometimes we, we men, we can come up with some wild ways to fix things. Like, you know, like I, my, my grandfather, I love him. God bless him. I love him. Uh, but man, his greatest tool was duct tape. I mean, everything was fixed with duct tape. I mean, I think we were playing football in the front yard one time, and they had a tree, and, and, and uh, it was new, and, and we kind of broke the tree, and my, my grandfather took duct tape and tried to duct tape the tree so my grandmother wouldn't know and thought it would, you know, like men back then, the, the, that didn't work. Duct tape, you know? We, we try to fix things. So, so these guys, they're like, okay, there's a crowd. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Hmm, maybe we should leave. I don't know. And I can just think one of them, you know what? Let's take him on the roof. Well, then another one, what good's that going to do to take him on the roof? I mean, Jesus is still inside and we're still outside. What, what good does that do? No, 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 you don't get it. We can, we can dig right above where Jesus is and we can lower the man down. And then one of the other guys, are you, are you crazy? That's somebody else's property. What if the homeowner comes out? What are we going to do? Ah, we'll worry about that when we get to it, all right? Right? I mean, can you just imagine the scene? I mean, that's kind of what it is. And, and, and why? Because there's four aspects that I think Jesus saw in their faith. Number one, they had a confident faith. Right? You don't go up on the roof, destroy him property, and lower your friend down unless you are confident in your faith that Jesus has the answer that your friend needs. I mean, they were so confident that Jesus had the answer, that they had a friend who was in need, and they were willing to do whatever it took, no matter what obstacle, to get their friend to Jesus, because they were confident that Jesus could heal their friend. I think they had a compassionate faith. 
I think their faith was compassionate. I mean, after all, here's a man who is paralyzed. He can do nothing on his own. He is not able to get up on his own. He is laying down. He was never going to get himself to Jesus. He didn't have the ability. Without the compassion of his friends, he would simply lay there hearing about all of the other stories and all of the other people who were getting healed and who were being touched and who Jesus was meeting their need. Meanwhile, he could just lay there doing nothing but hearing the stories and wondering, boy, why not me? But he had four compassionate friends who were willing to take him and pick him up and help him get where he couldn't get on his own to Jesus. Friends, their faith was a compassionate faith, so much so that when they got there and the crowd was there, they didn't just sit back and go, well, sorry, we tried, man, nothing else we can do. No, they went above and beyond because they were confident in their faith and they were compassionate and knew that their friend needed to get at the feet of Jesus. I think their faith was a creative faith. It was a creative faith. I mean, who who goes up on a roof and digs through the top? I mean, roofs there were flat roofs, by the way. I didn't explain that. In Palestine, they were flat roofs. Oftentimes, they would have stairwells because they were built that way. It's hot there. And, and in, 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 you'd go in the house, so you'd get away from the sun. But at night, your house would be hot. I don't know about you. I don't sleep good when it's hot right? So you get up on the roof and sometimes you would lay out at night on the roof where it was cool. It was a place where you'd lay out. We see it in Acts chapter 10 with Peter, right? Before he gets the vision, before Cornelius comes knocking at the door, he's hungry. Where is he at? He's up on the roof, right? Because that was a, that was a place. So it was nothing for them to, to go out, carry their guy up the stairs, get him on the roof. The problem was, how did they get into Jesus? Well, there's this tile and there's mud and there's this kind of stuff. So we're just going to take the roof apart. We'll worry about fixing it later or figuring out something like that. But we got to get our friend to Jesus. We got to get creative. Friends, I got to tell you, sometimes in our faith, we just get, st- we get stuck like there's an obstacle. The enemy says no, and we let, we let that get, our, get to us. We let that cause us to lose faith. We let that cause us to lose heart. We let that cause us to stop persevering in what we know the answer that we know that Jesus needs. Instead, we run up against an obstacle and we go, oh, well, I guess there's nothing I can do. Oh, well, I've tried everything. They were creative, and their faith, fourth, was courageous. It was courageous. I mean, who digs through a roof? You're talking about interrupting a service. Can you imagine? If you're there, here's Jesus. Jesus is preaching, right? He's having a preaching service going on, and the house is packed, and then all of a sudden, you get up on the roof, and I can just imagine people like, what is all that commotion on the roof? And then all of a sudden, they're standing there. You can imagine the people hearing Jesus, and there's like a little bit of dirt and stuff like falling, like on my head. What was that on my head? What just happened on my head? What is that noise? I'm trying to hear Jesus. Stop distracting me. Right? Oh, I got this dirt on my head. Where's that coming from? And then you look, and then, you know, Jesus, he's like seeing people dodging, like, whoa. Hey, look out. Oh, and he's preaching, you know, and I'm imagining him stepping back, like, what? You know, what is going on? I've had some distractions before in service, nothing like that. You know, and then all of a sudden, you can see light, like, peering in, like, oh, hey, there's a hole in the roof. Hey, there's people in the, hey, what is going on up there? And the crowd just stops, people back up, and all of a sudden, you get this man just being lowered down. What? Let me tell you, that kind of faith is contagious. 
Because you probably have a man who's been laying paralyzed, can't do anything, probably given up that he's ever going to experience a touch in his life. He's ever going to experience a healing that his life is ever going to change. It's over. But he had four friends who had faith. And I can imagine they brought him the idea and he said, well... We can try it, I guess. I don't know. Whatever you want to do. I don't know if it'll work. And they carry him. Then they get to the place. Can you imagine? The doors are packed. And he goes, see, I told you guys that we just have to go home. There's nothing that anybody can do. And they say, no, 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 no. We're not done yet. We're going on the roof. We're going to open the roof. And I can imagine. But, but what if you lay me? What if you lower me down there and nothing happens? I mean, I'm in front of all of these people. What if you lower me down and nothing happens? I mean, I, I don't know. I, what, what am I, I going to do? And yet, when he's lowered down in front of Jesus... We, we, we see the, the scripture here that says that, 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 that seeing their, T-H-E-I-R, their faith, it is plural faith. Is it just the four guys or was there something in their faith that got him thinking, hmm, you know what, I wonder, could Jesus heal me? Could this be the day that I get up and walk? Could this be the day that I'm healed? Could, could this really happen? Could it, could it really happen? And as he's going down and he's being laid down in front of Jesus and he's heard all the stories and he's seen the courage of his friends, can you imagine as he's looking up into the face of Jesus that there might be an expectation? And Jesus, just say the word. You say it, I'm, I'm off, I'm ready. When we do crazy things, in faith, when our faith is confident, when we are so compassionate, we'll go to whatever creative means possible to get people to Jesus. Let me tell you something. There's something contagious about that kind of faith. There's something contagious because when Jesus healed this man, look what happened. Mark 2, 12, the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked through stunned onlookers. And they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. When you've got faith that is confident and compassionate and courageous, it's contagious. It's contagious. And it's just seeing their faith through the eyes of Jesus. Jesus is looking to and fro to see if he will find faith on the earth. Is there anybody with that kind of faith in this room to trust and believe Jesus? I know some of you are like, man, pastor, you're talking that crazy faith. I'm hoping to stir up and get you courageous in your faith. Because, because here, here's the next aspect of what Jesus sees, the primacy of the word and the faith of these four friends. But, but Jesus sees something else. As the man is laid before him, Jesus doesn't just see one need. Jesus sees two urgent needs. Jesus sees two urgent needs. The first, obviously, is the physical need. The man's physical need was evident, right? He was paralyzed. Everybody could see that. It was evident to the crowd. It was evident to the four men on the roof. The need that he had was evident to himself. The need that he had was evident to Jesus. It was evident. But there was another need. And, and, and this was a need, a spiritual need that was ultimate. The second need that Jesus saw that they didn't see was a spiritual need. And that spiritual need was ultimate. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, child or son in some translations, your sins are forgiven. I'm up on the roof. I'm one of the friends. Hey, Jesus. He's paralyzed. Did, did you miss that? <laughs> That's why we lowered him down. 
He needs healing. That forgiveness thing is great, but hey, he needs healing. You know, sometimes we get so focused on the physical. And physical needs are important, aren't they? Because we, we deal with them day in and day out. They're the things that are right before us. If, 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 you're, if you're sick in body, every day you're waking up and, and, and that fear or that pain or that ache or that medicine list that you've got to take is primary. It can sometimes get in the way. It physically, if, 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 if you're struggling financially and you don't have a job and those bills just keep coming and you keep looking at the blankness in your bank account, let me tell you something, day in and day out, that physical need consumes you. If you're in a relationship that just ain't right and you're in this constant conflict and this battle over and over again or you've got an addiction issue and you can't seem to, to get free. That is, that is what becomes primary in front of you. And you keep saying, Jesus, I need you to do this. I need you to heal me. I need you to provide for me. I need you to reconcile this relationship. I need you to give me wisdom at work. I need you to set me free. That's primary in our minds. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus sees something that is even more primary in our lives, and that is a spiritual need. A spiritual need. There was an ultimate problem, and the ultimate problem wasn't just a physical problem. It was a spiritual problem, and Jesus speaks to that. Your sins are forgiven. After all, the suffering that we face in this world, the pain that we face in this world, the death that we see in this world is ultimately a spiritual problem that goes all the way back to the time of Adam and Eve in the garden goes back to the time when the Satan came and said, oh, who said you, you're going to die? God knows if you eat of that tree of knowledge of good and evil, you can know good and you'll be, you'll have your eyes open. You'll be like God. You don't need God to tell you what to do. And that act of disobedience opened up a world of pain and suffering and conflict because for the first time shame em entered in and people began to, to be self-focused. I'm naked. I've got to find a way to cover my shame. I've got guilt. I've got to find a way to deal with it. So I'm going to blame you because, it, God, it's this woman that you brought. It's that serpent. It ain't my fault. It's somebody else's fault because I've got to shift the blame because I don't like the true problem. And then the conflict begins and the pain begins and we begin to see the pains that even the curse afflicts this very earth in which we live. But Jesus had another, God had another plan through his son Jesus. Jesus, and he made a promise way back there in the garden that one day he was going to send his son who was going to stomp on the head of that serpent and that death would not be the end, that sickness would not be the end, but ultimately it is a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual problem. I want to share more about this, but let me just pause for a moment and get to number four. Here's something, that last, this is the fourth thing that Jesus sees. Jesus sees what's truly in our hearts. Jesus sees what's truly in our hearts. So here's what happens. He says to the man, your sins are forgiven. Son, child, your sins are forgiven. And, 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 and look what happens next. 
But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what's he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. And so he asked them, here's the question. Why do you question this in your hearts? Now let me just pause for a moment. Because I want to highlight, there are three things, three things that these guys did right. But one thing that they did wrong that ruined all the rest. The the first thing they did is they, they were in the crowd that day. So that means that they came to check out Jesus. It is not wrong to check out Jesus. When you hear things about Jesus and you don't understand them and you don't know what they are, it is a good thing. There might be some of you in this room that you've just heard from a friend of what Jesus has done in their life. You're not sure you believe, but you've come here to check it out. You want to hear more about Jesus. That's a good thing. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Secondly, when Jesus began to speak to them, they started to reason in their hearts. They, and, and I think that's a good thing. Some of you have been believers for a long time. I hope that every week when I preach, you're taking what I'm saying, you're looking at the scriptures and reasoning. Is this in line with God's word? We ought to be a people that are a thinking people, right? Don't just, don't just take what people say balance it between is this what God's word says there was nothing wrong that was okay to do in fact even what they came up with in terms of their premise was not wrong they 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 said what is he what's he saying and then they said only God can forgive sins yes bingo boop 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 right on the problem is they didn't want to believe it was Jesus that he was God there's the problem The problem was the evidence of who Jesus was had been right in front of them. The signs had all been there about who he was, and he was not secret about declaring and sharing who he was, but they were not open to receive it. See, it's okay to come and explore. It's okay to reason in your heart and even come to the healthy conclusion, only God can forgive sins. But friends, where they missed the boat is they said it's blasphemy and they shut out their hearts and would not receive Jesus for who he was. Friends, how do we deal with sin, right? Only God can forgive sin. The problem is, is I think that, that many of us don't believe that only God can forgive sin. We, we look for other ways to handle our sin. In fact, compensating good deeds and good works, can I just say this, will not lead to forgiveness of sin. Good works, doing good works, trying to compensate for your sin by doing good works does not lead to forgiveness of sin. Little illustration for you, okay? Maybe after church you want to try this, maybe not. You just, just go speeding down the road, go above the speed limit. Go right past the police officer, don't even hit the brakes, all right? And when he pulls you over, be real nice and respectful, but just say, officer, I know I was speeding. I'll admit I was speeding, but I don't think I deserve a fine or a ticket. Because let me tell you, all the times that I have kept within the speed limit before, let me tell you, last night I was driving, I was, I mean, I was even in a school zone and it was 20 and I went 20. And you know what? The day before that, man, I was in a 35. I kept it to 30. You know, on the highway, when all them people are going at 85, I kept it to 70. See, I obey the speed limit most of the time. So you ought to let me off this time. 
How's that going to work? But that's what we use with God. Well, God, if I stand before your throne, I'm going to quote all the times that I did good deeds, all the times that I did what was right, and I'm going to leave out and say, those things ought to compensate for the times that I don't obey you. No, no, that does not lead to forgiveness of sin. Only God forgives sin. Wishful thinking does not forgive sin. Good intentions do not forgive sin. Time does not lead to the forgiveness of sin. Forgetfulness, oh, I just forgot, doesn't lead to the forgiveness of sin. Success, I don't care how successful you are. I don't care how blessed you think you are. It does not lead to forgiveness of sin. And you cannot forgive your own sin. Only God can forgive sin. And that is the biggest problem that we have in our lives, is a sin problem. We have a sin problem in our lives, and only Jesus can help us with our sin problem. He came to forgive our sins. The man might have needed physical healing, but it wasn't physical healing mostly that he needed. He needed holiness before God. He needed holiness before God. So Mark 2, 9 and 11 says that Jesus says, okay, I'm not done yet, right? Forgiveness of sin. But to show you that I'm God, to show you that I'm God, let me show you what I'm going to do, all right? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Now let me just pause for a moment and ask you a question, all right? Let me, let me just pause for a moment. Let me ask you this question. What do you think is easier? To say to the man, your sins are forgiven or pick up your mat and walk? Now, I think we would say, to say your sins are forgiven. Because why? Because in our minds, what do we, how do we know? We don't have to have, there's no, no how, the fruit comes later, right? You don't need to know that. You, you know, your sins are forgiven. I could just tell you that. But I'm going to tell you, your sins are forgiven was more costly and much harder because it cost Jesus his life on the cross. It cost Jesus his life. Jesus had to live a sinless life, fully obedient and surrendered to God, even to the cross, even to laying his life down on the cross. And then, in order for it to be complete, he had to be raised from the dead. You tell me which one is more difficult. In our minds, we might say the, the physical uh, healing was harder, but I'm going to tell you that the physical healing was much easier than it was to go to the cross for Jesus. You see, there, Jesus, Jesus has authority. And as we've said, he has authority to read our hearts. He knows what's in our heart. He knows the intentions of our heart. He knows the secret things in our heart. He knows the hidden motives in our heart. He, he knows the secret thoughts. He knew what was going on. And, and, and he knows what's happening. And secondly, he has the authority over sickness and disease. Jesus has the authority to heal. Let me tell you something. There is nothing too difficult for the Lord. There is no cancer that is at a stage that is too late that God cannot heal. God can heal. There, there is no disease. There is no sickness. There, there is nothing that is impossible for our God. There is no vice or no addiction that he cannot set you free from. Amen. There is no mountain that he cannot move. God has authority, all the power. He spoke the worlds into existence, friends. Jesus is able to meet those needs. But most importantly, Jesus has authority to forgive sins. Son of man, 
It's a title that Daniel used. It's more than just talking about his humanity. It's talking about the fact that he is the Messiah. And in that, there is authority and power in Jesus' name. There is power in Jesus' name. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Please understand, friends, while healing our physical bodies is important, and I want to pray for people today who are in need of healing in their physical bodies, I believe that God has the power to heal. I believe it, but I believe that more important is the, the sin issue in our lives because Jesus wants to forgive our sin, and that's far more important, a right relationship with God. Through the cross, Jesus' blood was shed for the remission of sin. Through the cross, he took the punishment that we deserved. And through the resurrection, he became the first fruits in our lives, the first fruit of the resurrection, which means that because he resurrected, those who put their faith in Christ also receive resurrection life. Now, let me tell you why that's important when we're talking about physical healing. Because sometimes, friends, we pray, right? And, and it doesn't appear as if God's heard our prayer or healed and people that we prayed for have died. How many of you know what I'm talking about? But let me tell you something, for the believer, death doesn't get the last word. Death doesn't get the last word. Because of Jesus and the first fruits of resurrection, he recognizes the remission of sin and forgiveness of sin. Right relationship with God is most important because what it says is, is death is not the end. Eternal life with Christ is possible because of what Jesus has done. And so therefore, we will one day receive new bodies. Friends, understand, death doesn't get the last word. Tumors don't get the last word. Cancer doesn't get the last word. Alzheimer's doesn't get the last word. ALS doesn't get the last word. Accidents don't get the last word. Heart attacks don't get the last word. Hospice care doesn't get the last word. Jesus has the last word. He said, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. While we want our physical bodies to be healed, and while he can and does, sometimes, friends, we've got to remember that our spiritual life, our spiritual right relationship with God is of utmost, utmost importance in the eyes of Jesus. Forgiveness is God's greatest gift because it meets our greatest need. It meets our greatest need. In a few moments, we're going to close with communion. Worship team, will you come? So if you're at home, prepare. We're reminded by communion of his broken body and of his shed blood. But before we, before we get to that, before we get to that, can I just have your attention just, just for a few moments more? I want to ask you a really, 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 really important question. Several questions, three of them. Three questions that I have. And I want us to look at this story and the characters of this story. And I want you to ask yourself, who are you in this story? Who are you? And if you were in this story, which one of these characters would be you? Who would you be in this story? And don't say Jesus. You're not Jesus. All right? You're not Jesus. Some of you are the paralyzed man on the mat. You've got great need. Some of you have great physical needs. Some of you have great spiritual need. 
And that spiritual need has paralyzed you and kept you from moving forward in your life. You are paralyzed by your spiritual need. And today, Jesus wants to set you free. Today, Jesus wants to set you free. Some of you have been pondering in your heart, just like the scribes, that you would say, that's me, I'm kind of pondering, I don't know. Can God forgive sins? Can Jesus forgive sins? Friends, let me invite you to come to the feet of Jesus where you hear those words, my child, my child, my son, my daughter, I want to speak to you. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins, some of you need your sin forgiven. You've been paralyzed for far too long, and it is time to let Jesus heal you and set you free. It's time to let Jesus work in your life. If that's you, and I'm not even going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes, I want you to confidently say, Pastor, I need forgiveness of my sin. I want you to pick up your hand. Pastor, I need forgiveness of sin. If you're watching online, I want you right now in the comments. Pastor, I need forgiveness of sin. Is there anyone right now? I need forgiveness of sin. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, all over this place. Right now, let's just begin to ask the Lord to forgive us right now. The Bible says if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus, right now we just come to you, and that's you. Just begin to pray. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I come to you, and I need forgiveness. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin, to cleanse me of my guilt, to cover my shame. I ask you to come into my heart and my life, and I ask you, Jesus, to make me right with God. I ask for your forgiveness today in my life. I ask you to make me whole. Do what only you can do, for you are God. I declare it today. You are God. And I ask for your forgiveness and your mercy and your grace Thank you that I'm your child today. In Jesus' name, amen. Secondly, some of you need healing. You need healing. You need healing today. If you need healing, will you slip up your hand today? I want to pray for healing right now. I want to pray for healing. Come on, I need healing right now. Right now in this place. Jesus, right now. Right now. Jesus, you know those that are in need of healing. God, you're the healer. You're the healer. You're the healer. And we just pray in the name of Jesus right now that you would begin to heal bodies. Father, right now, if there is cancer, that it would disappear, that it would go in Jesus' name. It would go in Jesus' name. We just speak to that cancer and we say, be gone in Jesus' name. Father, those that are having pain, headaches and pain in their head, healing in Jesus' name. Healing in Jesus' name. Those that are dealing with arthritis and back pain, I speak healing in Jesus' name over arthritis and back pain, over high blood pressure come down in Jesus name I pray I pray healing for sugar diabetes in Jesus name in Jesus name healing in Jesus name I pray Lord that you will touch whatever the need is whatever the need is right now just begin to confess your need say Jesus I need you to heal me and say what it is right now Lord by faith we're coming to your feet we're coming to your feet and we're believing you for healing in Jesus name healing in Jesus name Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.